Do you wanna play a game? Do you like scary movies? Do you wanna eat some brains? Is your chainsaw arm groovy? How bloodthirsty could a talking plant be? Eat your liver with some fava beans and a nice candy. Come play with us forever, cause down here we all float. I never drink wine, so you're gonna need a bigger boat. Or a throat to choke, whether you're in the prim or dairy. Got red rum where your blood from, put your dead son in a cemetery. It's him or carry, be very afraid. You'll be our number one fan and get carried away. All working, no play, you know it always means you're in trouble, son. I came to chew gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble gum. What if Quint killed Jaws' his father? What if the Bob's body was marijuana? What if the leprechaun got a job as a bank guard? What if the Wolfman had a cowbell instead of Every Nars? scary movie made since Oscar Wilde was writing letters Had canon to watch them all and tell you how to make them better So put your earbuds in and forget what you're planning It's time to take our heads and shoot them out of a cannon 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 Shoot him out of a cannon. Shoot him out of a cannon. Shoot him out of a cannon. Head cannon. Welcome to Head Cannon. Tonight we have a, a very special guest, a friend of ours. Britt and I both met working at the Pizza Hut in Bloomington, Indiana. And uh, was always just like the nicest, like most chill guy. Uh, JT Robinson, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking yourself. Good. Good. Doing well. uh, you, you remind me of like if Bloomington had an uncle. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be a real nice J, uh, Uncle JT, and like if Bloomington was like w like was like a teenager and went to a party and there were like drugs there or something, and they got scared. I think Bloomington would call you and be like, Uncle JT, can I have a ride home? <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd come and get him out of jail. Right, yeah. yeah, you'd take care of him. Yeah, you'd say. <laughs> or jail. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're uh, you're from Brown County originally, right? I'm from um, Tucson, Arizona, originally, but I, I went to high school in Brown County. Okay, okay, nice, nice. What what uh, what brought your family to uh, to Indiana? Um, my dad wanted um property on a lake, and there aren't a whole lot of lakes. And but we lived in Denver at that time, and Fort Collins, there's not a whole lot of lakes that you can get property on out there, mm -hmm. especially now. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do they still live on a lake? They do. Yeah, they they've retired on their lake house. Nice. Fantastic. That's awesome. Nice. Well, yeah, we, I think they're pretty. I think they're pretty pleased. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's such a nice because I, you know, because I'm from Bloomington and then my wife is is from Columbus, so we we all like we all the time drive between Bloomington and Columbus, and that's it's just such a gorgeous area, that whole Brown County area. Oh yeah, it, it is especially in the fall when the leaves are turning. Yeah. Yeah. It tends to get pretty crowded though in the in the fall. I think tourist season. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of tourists, and I think, uh, wasn't that, uh, didn't our buddy Colin get married there, Brent, I think, or had a ceremony in Brown County? I don't know. I think it was in Brown I think County. I thought you were going to talk about, like, Colin Boyle. No. <laughs> he was a Brown County kid, right? I, I have Do you no... you know that guy, JT? I don't know. He Who? was... I went to middle... I went, His I went, name was Colin Boyle, and, and I the story, the only story I know, I think it's a myth, because I think what I heard was he was, he was like excommunicated from Bloomington. Like, he wasn't allowed to go to the city of Bloomington. <laughs> I've never heard of this person. <laughs> I don't... Or that situation. I don't know. Can you be told not to ever come back to a city? I, I mean, I I'm, mean sure, I'm sure you could. I guess. I 
don't know how they keep you out, but <laughs> yeah, if you get pulled over, it's just like from Rambo. They're just like, "Hey, you! I told you to get out of this city." <laughs> and then he t- he takes over a sheriff station and like. <laughs> that, that would that would be exciting. We recently had a um, active shooter in the sewers of Bloomington about two months ago, so that was fun. In the sewers. Yeah, I guess they, um, I don't know if they were running from the police or what, but, um, yeah, they were in the sewers shooting guns. Wow, that's fucking wild, dude. Yeah, yeah, I heard about it at work, and I didn't believe it at first, but it, it made the local news. <laughs> Did they catch him? Yeah, I think they got him. He didn't hurt anybody. That's good. What? Just, <laughs> just some sewer rats? <laughs> yeah, we oh, no. hunting alligators. <laughs> That's why, well, there was like right around uh, the beginning of July, actually it was around July 4th because in, in my, my neck of the woods up here north of Chicago, we had our July 4th festivities postponed because um, there was an active shooter just like a few miles from where I'm at now who was like picking. No, I, I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. He was like picking people off at a 4th of July parade. And then like. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. that, yeah, that one was, uh, that was a big story. Yeah. Yeah, that and then like a week later, uh, somebody shot up the mall in Greenwood, Indiana, like a a couple blocks from where I used to live before I moved up yeah. here. I was like, Jesus fucking yeah. Christ, man! Yeah, apparently, um, he he's the reason that the um, like the the thing the NRA is clamping onto is why we should um, be able to keep a uh, concealed weapons. Oh, right, because that yeah, because that that there's that's uh, the. the the one instance of a of of a of a quote unquote good guy with a gun was able to 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 do something mm-hmm. out of out of many hundreds of instances. Out of hey, you know what? You gotta you gotta hold on to the one. You gotta hold on to what you got. Yeah, this is true. So it's when all, all the uh, people, all the the hunters and the gun fanatics I work with were just like singing his praises for weeks. Yeah, yeah, I heard a lot of people uh, uh, do that same thing, and I was like. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad that it. Ha- I'm glad he was able to 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 put a stop to it. But at the same time, like that's uh, tragic for him. Like he's gonna be fucked up the rest of his life if he has any kind of like humanity. And then like, you know, I don't know. It's just a tragedy all around. Brenton- well, I still. I mean, I can't think. I, I mean, just because it happened once. I mean, some good Samaritan with a gun might try to stop another shooting and end up shooting innocent people bystanding. Exactly. Yeah. Because because like. <laughs> ostensibly (laughs) right well and even like ostensibly trained police officers like can't like they catch people in the crossfire you know what i mean like let alone fucking wild west you know every civilian just shooting i doubt too many people are calm in like an active like gun battle yeah yeah oh no absolutely not yeah that's the thing everybody like i think we're just so and you know don't get me wrong i love movies as much as the next guy but i think we just Americans especially have this like misconception that in whatever scenario you get into, you're going to be fucking John McClane and fucking hero your way through the situation. And that's just not the way it like nine times out of 10. That's not the way that fucking goes, you know? Yeah, no, I, I have um, people that I work with that are like, I just take the gun away from them. And I'm like, you think that until you're looking at the barrel of the gun. <laughs> right. Until Yeah. Until you're in yeah. that situation. And then I feel like you come like you become very compliant yeah <laughs> whatever you want sir <laughs> right well i feel like it's the guys who are the loudest about here's what i do that those are the ones who are gonna fucking buckle first like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i actually got mugged in st louis and he didn't even pull his gun out of his pants and, and i gave him 50 bucks <laughs> uh, well that was nice of him Keep- <laughs> solid <laughs> yeah yeah 
Yeah. It was, it was weird. I was um I was going to Blockbuster, so that really dates the story, but um <laughs> and oh, my girlfriend at the time was with me and we were getting out to um you know, go rent movies and he comes up to me and he's just like um, I need fifty dollars for a cab. My boy's in the hospital. He's been shot, and I was like, well, I don't have fifty dollars. Then he like pulled up his shirt and showed me he had a gun tucked in his belt, and I was like, Oh, here's fifty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't take everything, so it made me wonder if the story was true. He just took the money. He could have taken my wallet and my cards. Right? Huh? Yeah, maybe but everything else a about positive his... situation you were in. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it was it was shitty, and then I got in the car because I was freaked out and pissed off, and yeah. My girlfriend didn't even know I'd got mugged. She was talking about how sweet I was to give that man $50. I, was like, <laughs> I just got fucking mugged. You know, I've been violated. Oh, Jesus. You should yeah. you should have just let her think it was like an act of altruism. You're like, you know what? I felt like he really needed it, you know? Yeah, no, I, I wish I'd been quick enough and less angry, but I was pissed. <laughs> I, I can imagine, yeah. I, I was your girlfriend like, why are you so mad that you give that guy $50? <laughs> yeah, I think I... I I did take it out on her, but when she asked that, I was just like, fuck and cussing and, you know, very angry. I was like, I didn't give him $50. He mugged me. Right. <laughs> he yeah. You know what it is? I think the anger comes from the idea that, like, that person trumped whatever you had to defend yourself with that gun. Yeah, were, well, often, his life was like, completely in your hands. Often, well, and also my first reaction to fear is often to get, like, anger or angry right after I've been frightened. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, like I say, yeah, I felt violated. And yeah, he had the upper hand, and there was nothing I could do about it. Yeah, yeah for sure. Blockbusters in St. Louis are kind of dangerous places. <laughs> That's where <Right>. they were. <laughs> yeah. Now you got to work out at the Red Box. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> I think our. Uh, my my main blockbuster story is the same one as Brent's, and that's just when we the time we got to interview Mr. T in a blockbuster. So. Yeah, nice. <laughs> he, yeah, was, he was there just for our, um, he was there to do some like, uh, like help the manager out. Like the, the, the manager of the blockbuster was like roommates with them at one point. Oh, really? <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's what I remember. remember Cause that's what Pam thrash from B97 said. <laughs> right. She was there. Well, yeah. that, that, that brings back the memories. Pam thrash. Yeah. Dude, when you tell a blockbuster story, it's like a whole like dating, like nostalgia thing. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know everything about that story any story that involves blockbuster yeah you know what's weird is like there were never any like giant movie rental chains that were like the rivals of blockbuster yeah, just like smaller like mr video but yeah they didn't compete yeah and family video family video but, yeah that's yeah. weird right yeah you would think there would have been some competition yeah, yeah. None, of, none of them quite reached the height of of popularity the blockbuster did I think Blockbuster, like, I don't know, they did good advertising. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I I actually, I kind of, I enjoy streaming because it's convenient and everything, but I kind of miss, like, you know, roaming around a Blockbuster looking for some crazy film. Yeah, oh, absolutely, 100%. I I mean, that was such a, and to kind of tie into the movie we're doing, and we, we, originally we were going to do Naked Lunch, uh, the movie, yeah. which okay, yeah. this, okay, this this makes sense. This is a connection. Yeah, which which I would have loved to do naked lunch. I, uh, I we I could not find access to it. I couldn't find it. Brent couldn't find it. I don't I don't know that I have a way of to watch it at the moment. But I yeah, saw. I don't even think I could have purchased a DVD of it. Yeah, I have on a Amazon. DVD. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I actually looked through, through the streaming services for it because of, of, I know a lot more about Naked Lunch and William S. Burroughs than I do about Pan's Labyrinth, uh, but yeah, you can't find it anywhere. Yeah. No, I thought... It's a very, very bizarre and disturbing film, so it probably doesn't draw in big numbers. Yeah. Well, like, I, I wanted to watch, I wanted to watch, um, oh shit, it's this Kevin Smith movie about the cult. What's that freaking called now? Um, you guys want to talk about the Kevin Colts? Yeah, yeah. Like um, it's it's directed by Kevin Smith. It's like it's basically a horror movie, pretty much about these kids that get um, abducted into like one of those like Branch Davidian like that's Westboro. No, I don't know. That's that's not what Yoga Hosers is about, is it? I haven't seen that nope. one. <laughs> yeah, the only horror uh, movie I can think of that he did was called Tusk. Tusk. And I haven't seen that one. Oh, Tusk is fucked okay, up. But anyway, this movie, like, this movie was one of, like, the last, I think, under Harvey Weinstein. And so, like, all the rights are, like, to that guy and his company. And so, like, for him to then have it out, like, streaming somehow gives Harvey Weinstein more money. Okay. And so you can't find that movie anywhere. So he's being idealistic. That's, that's actually, I kind of respect that. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I wanted to watch it, though. <laughs> was that Re- Red State? Was that what Red State was about? Red State. Yeah, there it is. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I've, I've heard of it's pretty that. good. Okay, nice. Well, I you know I was really looking forward to to revisiting Naked Lunch because I think I'm pretty sure the only time I've ever watched that movie was I was like 12 maybe, and I think it was that thing where I was like looking through a a, a blockbuster. And I'm sh- I I am sure that twelve year old me was like, oh, naked lunch. They're naked. Okay, I'm gonna see this... some some naked people. So I I got that. I'm I rented it. I'm sure for that reason. And I watched it. And I was like, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> yeah, I don't know too many people who've actually seen that, let alone at twelve. But it makes me think of a Simpsons <laughs> joke where they went to Naked Lunch thinking the same thing. They come walking out of the theater all disgusted and upset. No, because I, I definitely watched that movie. I definitely remember it. Like, there are some very clear images in my head of that fucking movie. Um, and I would have oh, lo- loved to revisit it, but but I, I just wasn't able to find it. Oh, no, that's fine. But the, um, the book is, is um, ten times weirder and more disturbing. And, and um, it was actually banned for, like... Um, 10 or 15 years after it was written for being obscene. Really? Yeah, it's it's the darkest book I've ever read, and it's also one of the most nonsensical, because it's just this dude who was high on heroin the whole time, writing just what he was seeing and thinking <laughs> in freeform, so it doesn't, it doesn't follow any kind of actual story, it's just really disturbing images and, and yeah. Huh. I don't know if I'd recommend it to anyone. It's It was good, but it's, it's <laughs> very niche. <laughs> no, I got you. I got you. I kind of, that kind of makes me want to read it, though. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. That'd be a great quote on the back of the box. I thought it was a good book, but I mean, I, I wouldn't. I'd recommend it to someone, and they're like, "Dude, you're fucked up." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Na- Naked Lunch by William S. Burroughs. I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. <laughs> J.T. Robinson. <laughs> Tucson, Arizona native. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the movie we are doing, uh, we are talking about 2006, uh, Pan, 2006's Pan's Labyrinth, uh, which is one of my favorite movies. I, I love this movie. Yeah, you know, it's it's excellent. I actually um, saw it in theaters when it came out. And, oh, nice. Ooh, nice. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. I love this movie. Um, you know, I love Guillermo del Toro. Um, the the fawn, the pale man, Doug Jones. He's been he's been on our show. Brent and I interviewed him a few years ago. I, so. I saw that. That's pretty amazing because um, he's 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 an amazing um, actor and contortionist. <laughs> yeah, he was the nicest guy. He he was so happy and nice. It was it was great. <laughs> yeah, he, it it was like it was like ridiculously nice. He was. Very, he was so nice, yeah. Like, I think he'd only talked to... You, how often did you guys talk before we interviewed him? Uh, just, just like, a little back and forth on Twitter. That's, you know... Yeah, like, he, you got, I mean, he, he came in and it was like, he was our best friend. Yeah. It was weird. <laughs> how did you reach out to him? Like, through Twitter? Or? That's a yeah. question. Yeah, I just... Uh, I, I just... I, I commented on something he put on Twitter and... It was because he's from Indianapolis, so that's that's kind of what started the conversation. Was him being? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah, that, yeah. that kind of started the conversation, and then I was um. So we just would kind of chat back and forth, and I was like, uh, you know, hey, I also I have this podcast. If you, and he was like, yeah, sure, I'd love to. And and dude, fucking skyped in, gave us an hour, like hung out with me and Brent, and like could not have been nicer about it. It, it was it was really cool. Awesome. Did you ask him if he ever met Kurt Vonnegut? I did not ask him that, no. <laughs> He's an Indianapolis native as well, I believe. Yes, yeah, yeah, Vonnegut yeah. definitely is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we asked him a lot of other stuff, but it was it was actually shortly before he did The Shape of Water. Um, so, but it was, but it was really cool to talk to him about everything he had done up to that point and his, re, his relationship with Guillermo, um, you know, and, and he does this great Guillermo impersonation, you know, he's like, he was like, yeah, the first time I met him, I was like on the set of Mimic and I'm sitting there eating my lunch and this, you know, rotund Mexican comes and sits next to me and says, oh, what, what is your name? What are you doing on the movie? And it's like, I don't know. So he worked with them on Mimic too? Yeah. Apparently they, they filmed that movie up in Canada, which anybody interested in this can go listen to our Doug Jones episode. But, um, he, he, they filmed Mimic in Canada and then they needed to do reshoots and it it was it was somewhat cost prohibitive to to fly the actor who had played the 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 antagonist in that movie the creature to fly him down from Canada so they were like who do we know in the area who could do who's like kind of a tall lanky motherfucker and uh D- somehow Doug Jones' name was thrown into the mix and so that's where he met uh Guillermo was on the set of Mimic um, and then that's awesome. Yeah, and then years later he was doing Hellboy or no, or was it Hellboy? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, Hel- he was Abe Sapien and Hellboy. Yeah, Abe Sapien, and they were looking for somebody to kind of do that. He was like, well, they were like, who can we do to kind of get this, you know, otherworldly, almost inhuman, uh, these inhuman mannerisms of this ke- creature? And Doug and uh, Guillermo was like, ah, I know someone, I know a man. <laughs> 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 but anyway, he anyway he he was super interesting to talk to. Yep. Oh, I I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. But um, but so to get back to Pan's Labyrinth, um, yeah, I almost just want to go through it beat by beat because I I fucking love this movie. And first off, it starts off in 1944, right? And it's it's the rebels fighting these fascists in Spain, and I never thought about it before because I was like, these are obviously not Nazis. But I was going to mention that. Yeah, but but I was like I don't I don't I don't really know the history of Spain. So I looked in right? Yeah, Francisco Franco, which I knew nothing yeah. about this until a couple nights ago. I was like I'm going to look into this and figure this fucking shit out. And 
it's part of a larger, like uh, very recently in the past few weeks, I, I've, I've come to realize how, just how new democracy is even in the Western world. Right. Cause you, cause like, you know, you had the United States declare its independence in 1776 and then, um, but a lot of a lot of countries, even now, like Western, you know, European countries and countries that are considered Westernized, like had either like monarchs or dictators up through, you know, into the 1800s, into the 1900s. And I didn't realize that Spain had a dictator. S -s Democracy in Spain is only like it's less than 50 years old. Whoa. You know, that's crazy. Yeah. So like, so I guess the story is, and I, I had to look into this. I had no idea about this, but I guess they, they deposed King Alfonso in 1931. Right. And then, so they had a Republic. They had an, an attempt at democracy in Spain after 1931, after they deposed the King. But then there was a civil war from 36 to 39. And that's when this dude fucking Francisco Franco, uh, was installed. They won the war. The, the fascists won. And so, uh, Francisco Franco was a dictator from 39 till 75, uh, Spain, Spain was under this like fascist dictatorship. The dude was like, uh, they stayed neutral in world war two. Cause again, I've got this like idea in my head that in world war two, there were the fascists, there was Germany, there was Italy, they were allied with Japan and pretty much everyone else was against the fascists. Right. And so I was like, what the fuck was Spain doing during this time? Apparently they remain neutral because the dude didn't, he didn't want to get into the war, but he was buddies with Hitler. Like they were fascist homies, uh, <laughs> Francisco Franco and Adolf Hitler. Um, fascist homies. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's a little bit of, and that's history for me. I just had to look up cause I was like, wait, what the fuck is the setting of this movie? What's going on here? Cause I am not familiar with it, you know? Cool. I mean, I, I knew a little bit about it, but yeah, I didn't know um, what you just told me. A lot of that I did not know at all. Yeah, well, especially the fact that, that there, like Spain was under the rule of like a fascist dictatorship up until 1975. Like that just, I, I had no idea until recently. But. Yeah, the whole movie has like born. that Holocaust feel to it. Like yeah. if you've ever seen a Holocaust movie, like that's the feeling you kind of get when you watch this one. Yeah. It's weird. Well, and that's, and that's the thing, because there, there, there was this rise of fascism, uh, you know, all, all over the world, but especially in Europe. And that's, you know, that's how you had, that's how um, Hitler came to power and you had Mussolini in Italy. And well, they, they also come up a lot from um, overthrowing governments or um, political movements. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause, yeah, because you get that power vacuum and it's because mm -hmm. democracy is hard, right? Like. Uh, a, a government for the people by the people is very difficult and it's a lot easier for a strongman dictator to come in and say no you know what there's this power vacuum you know who could fill this I could fucking fill this and if you have a problem with that I'll shoot you in the fucking face you know like and don't they, yeah, yeah. And don't they normally have like access to like an army already like it's all like, yeah, you know, like it's the overthrow, and then like boom, now you have like people in uniform. Like suddenly, there's just like people in uniforms. Yeah, and and you've gone from a democracy, let's say, to like you said, dictatorship. Yeah, well, that's why. Yeah, a lot of dictators, like in in South America and elsewhere, is is like the result. Well, <laughs> a lot a lot of that is the re the result yeah. of CIA interference. But yeah, also because of like these military uh, military coups where the the yeah the the military just kind of takes charge and it's a you've got a mil a military dictator 
Anyway, I thought that was interesting. I because I've I've always loved this movie, but I never fully. And again, I was like, well, we're doing it for the podcast, so I feel like I need to understand what's going on here. <laughs> so so I was like, I better I better do some reading and fucking figure this out, you know. And that's the beauty of this movie. You don't have to like. You don't have to do, go do the research and history of it. Right. It, it plays out in the most beautiful fashion. And yes, it's, it's a very personal done. film. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And, yeah and, and even if you don't fully comprehend the historical setting, you're like, yeah, fascist or something. Like, I get it. I, 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 yes. I, I understand it. You know, like I. Right. That's what I was saying. Like, you're like, okay, Holo- Jews in the Holocaust. I'll just apply that energy to this movie. <laughs> right. Kinda, which is kind of a bummer because, like, I guess then you got to think. Well, maybe we should be looking at the history of it. I suppose to give it <laughs> right. <laughs> to give it respect. But it, but it works either way. You know, a, fa- a fascist is a fascist. Like you under <laughs> you get you understand you understand what they're and, about. You know. And Del Toro, he wrote a he wrote a story about a, a about a sweet, wonderful little girl. Uh huh. Right, and that's probably what it's most about. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely a character driven story. Um. And I, this is something I was thinking right before we started recording. Um, I just remembered that in the very beginning when we meet Ophelia, the main character, she they stop the caravan because they're bringing her mother to the captain, right? Captain Vidal. And they stop the, the caravan because she gets sick. And Ophelia goes and she notices some rubble, some ruins, and she pluck, she finds an eye, basically a stone with an eye in it. And she puts it back into the statue, and it, it just occurred to me before we, we started recording that I, I think it's the same eye that, at the very end, Captain Vidal gets shot in his face, and his right, whoa, whoa. I, his right eye rolls back. So I, I almost wonder if that's some kind of foreshadowing, or if there's some kind of cyclical, like, you know, th- this oppressive, the representation of oppression, which in this movie is Captain Vidal... He, he dies at the end by getting shot in the face. His eye rolls back. But if you think of it cyclically, like maybe that happened to the last incarnation of oppression and Ophelia like puts its eye back in and it almost starts the cycle of, because then we're immediately introduced to Captain Vidal. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's something. And that I, bug could not have been happier that she did that. Yeah. <laughs> the bug is like, yes, the cycle begins again. Yeah. The bug was like, I've been fucking waiting for this. <laughs> No, that makes sense though because um in the fantasy kingdom the um Ophelia's counterpart, the princess, dies in the that's why the um king created all the labyrinths so um the next incarnation could find her way back to the dream kingdom or the fantasy kingdom. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense that it's very cyclical. Yeah. JT, you know a lot you remember a lot more about this movie than you than you let let us no, I read, a, I read a synopsis of it on, on Wikipedia. Watch it because I remember, I remembered um, the the extravagant parts like the Thin Man and the Frog and all the special effects. But um, yeah, yeah, the, the, a lot of the other stuff kind of like I, I it's vague had vague recollection of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When there's and and to kind of jump to the next part in this movie, there there is one scene, maybe more than other, that has always stuck with me from the. What, what, this came out in, what, 2006? So I think I saw it right when it came out. So I would have been, whatever, 22, something like that when this came out. Um, but man, when he, you know, his soldiers, like, find this old man and his son, and they're interrogating them. And when he, when he caves that guy's face in with a bottle, and it it's just like, 
graphic visceral image of his nose getting caved into his face like i that's one of the most horrific images i've ever seen in my life yeah and yeah, no my, uh, watch my brother away. yeah my brother rented that thinking it was more of like a pg-13 kids fantasy and he was gonna watch it with his like kids right yeah and well, no, he didn't have kids when he saw that. Why does he keep talking about? Anyway, sorry, I had a gummy before we got on. <laughs> That's okay. No, you're fine. I'm, I'm drinking an old fashioned here, so nice. Oh. But um, yeah, he saw. He thought it was like PG-13, and um, I guess he about fell out of his chair when that scene occurred, and they caved that man's face in. Yeah, because it because that's that's brutal, and I feel like the movie is like. The movie's letting you know, like this is what you're. This is what this movie is. If you're not, if you're not down with this, you should just yeah. get out now. You know. And they're being interrogated for, because they think they're spies, but they're like, no, we were just rabbit hunting. Yeah. After he kills both of them, he searches the bag and finds the actual rabbit. Like they had been rabbit hunting, and he killed them for like no reason. For no, yeah, absolutely no reason, and almost did it as a and like it. He's yeah, he's so like life means so little to him that it doesn't even bother him that he killed them for no reason and used it like as a lesson for his men. Like next time before you bother me, you should like you like the I killed these people because you came and bothered me. You didn't do your job properly. So I had to murder these two people like, you know, (laughs) fucking awful fucking fascist. He he was kind of like, yeah, gave off an air that, um. He thought little of people and only thought himself like capable. Yeah. And and ironically, the uh, his maid who betrays him, he, he seemed to have quite a bit of respect for her. Yeah, Mercedes. She's man. She's a fun yes. character. She's she that she she's a really great character. And I didn't realize this. I, I remember when the movie came out and it was a big deal, but I never watched it. Uh, but E Tu Mama Tambien. Oh yeah, remember? I've never seen it, but I know what you're talking about. That was huge when yeah. it came out. And it was directed by uh, Alfonso Cuaron, who... He's one of my favorite directors. Yeah, when he yeah. was a, he was a producer on this movie. He was a producer on Pan's Labyrinth. Um, but apparently Mercedes, Maribel uh, Verdu, was... Yeah. She's, she's like, I, I guess, the lead in E Tu Mama Tambien, which, again, I haven't seen, but it's I remember when it came out, because everybody was I like, this movie's the fucking best. <laughs> I've seen it a long time ago. It's... it's um. It's it's kind of kinky. Yeah. It's, oh yeah. That, yeah, I remember. Yeah, people were like, "This movie's the fucking best," and also really sexy. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I never watched it. I, I I had grown out of my uh, seeking naked lunch in blockbuster phase at that point. So. <laughs> yeah. I like the, the idea that like there's all that foreshadowing with the paring knife in her apron, which is such a badass tool and weapon, and like it's hidden in, yeah. in there. That was really cool. Yeah. And somebody pointed out, um, and I I didn't get a chance to read into this particular aspect of it in depth, but pointed out the mirroring mirroring that's done between Ophelia and Mercedes and how they're both, over the course of the movie, they're both given a key, right? Mm -hmm. Ophelia gets the key from the toad and Mercedes gets the key to the storeroom and they're both given a knife, right? So Mercedes has that knife and then Ophelia gets the knife from the pale man, right? The scene where she goes yep. into the pale man. And then they're both kind of on a mission to protect their little brothers, you know, cause Ophelia at the end, she ends up like she gives her life to protect her little brother. 
And Mercedes, it's the same thing. She's trying, what's her brother's name? Uh, Pedro. She's trying to protect Pedro, who's a member of the resistance. So I don't have a lot more to say about it than that, but there's definitely a lot of mirroring between Mercedes and Ophelia throughout the film. Yeah, I never picked up on that before. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Uh, There's a lot of that mirroring with, like, her fantasy world excursions, like, like with the Pale Man. Um, I heard someone mention that, like, the Pale Man scene is either right before, I think it's right before or right after the scene with, like, the stepdad. Who's like at, he's at the head of the table, just like the pale man's at the head of the table. Yeah, and there's all these like all these people that that just like don't really care about life, really. Like they don't want to hear about like love or how like the mom and the stepdad met or fell in love, and that the so, pale man yeah, is so there the to like destroy like, childhood because there's like a pile of kids' shoes, you know. And he's yeah, yeah. So like the little girl's fantasy elements uh, mirror the reality elements for. Um, uh, the maid, I forgot her name. Mercedes, yeah. Mercedes. Right. Well, and Mercedes even mentions at some point that, like, she used to believe that stuff when she was a little girl, but no longer does, you know. Um, But but more to what you were talking about with the Pale Man, Brent, I feel like I, I heard a, a quote or an interview with, with Guillermo del Toro where he was talking about, like, yeah, there's a reason that the Pale Man is, like, a white, like, pale dude. Like, and people have pointed out, besides me, that the... the uh, the similarity, the resemblance between the Pale Man and Mitch McConnell, right? Oh yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, I've seen those They're memes. Like, yeah. Uh, but but somebody, <laughs> th- this was a I, I watched a, a YouTube video that pointed out a lot of things. It's by a guy called Nerd Writer One. If anybody's in, just because a lot of what I'm gonna say today is pulled from this guy's YouTube video, is I thought it was really good. Um, yeah. But the Pale Man. And, and Guillermo del Toro obviously pulls from a lot of sources f- uh, to make this movie from, you know, uh, Alice, uh, you know, Alice in Wonderland and, and all kinds of like fairy tale stories and stories like that. But specifically this creature eating children, you know, and you see those pictures or whatever, the, the reliefs of the pale man eating children is reminiscent of things like Krampus, you know, eating children and uh like you said vidal was at the same seat at the table um i think it might have been something guillermo del toro himself said was that it's uh reminiscent of the catholic church like sacrificing children <laughs> um but but the most uh interesting connection i i heard was that of chronos who uh, it's i think the del toro's first movie or a very early movie he did was was chronos and Kronos was the, I think, Greek god. What was he? He's like Zeus's dad, he right? He was a titan. He, he was, was a titan. He was a titan, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, they Kron- gave birth to the gods. I, I took some Greek in college. And I, I'm fascinated by that stuff. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so Kronos uh, was a titan, gave birth to birth to the gods. But he would devour his children because, though, like, he usurped his father. Uh, it was foretold that his one of his children would usurp him. So he would eat his children to keep them from replacing him, which is, I, I think, I think it's true then. And I think it's true now is kind of the function of like right-wing fascism, right? It's these old school, like authoritarian motherfuckers who want to prevent the next generation from making progress and, and usurping them, usurping their positions. So 
in much the same way that Kronos is eating his children to prevent them from usurping his throne, you have the fascists of the 1940s and the fascists of today, uh, you know, maggot Trump Republicans, uh, <laughs> f- fucking eating their children to prevent them from moving forward and usurping them in in roles of leadership and, and, and roles of progress. You know what I mean? Well, with Trump, it's almost literal. I mean, his kids are just pawns for him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. With it. Yeah. And it's, well, yeah. And, yeah. Jesus. That's yeah. true. Like, I think even, even, even though he deeply wants to have sex with his daughter, I think he would throw her under the bus to avoid getting indicted or charged with anything. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have no, I have no doubt he would sacrifice any of his children to save himself. Yeah. He's, he's a megalomaniac. Yeah. <laughs> Hey guys, that's our president. Okay, I don't think we should be talking bad about him. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry, Brent. Sorry. <laughs> it's, yeah, he doesn't. He'll find out about this and get on a Twitter age storm. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but there was another part of this movie. Uh, as I was watching rewatching this movie, it kind of reminded me of. I reread The Stand recently, Stephen King's The Stand, and there's a lot in that book about the the bad guys. Have you read The Stand, JT? Yeah, I read it a long time ago. Okay. Um, but I remember it pretty clearly. So so there's a lot about how the villain in the movie and and the the Randall Flag, the bad guy, um there's a lot about rationality versus instinct. I I guess if you want to call it that. And the villains in the story, the, the, the Randall flag and his whole community in Las Vegas, they are presented in the book as agents of rationality. The trains run on time, which is like a, obviously a, a you know, a, a reference to Nazi Germany. And, um, but so the, the rational, the trains run on time, blah, blah, blah. But then the protagonists of the story, and I think there's a parallel to be drawn with to, pa- to Pan's Labyrinth. It's more instinctual. It's more spiritual. And I I didn't think about it this way until watching Pan's Labyrinth, rewatching it recently. Um, but it's almost, you know, I, it, after reading The Stand, I thought of it more as like rational, rationalism versus instinct. But Pan's Labyrinth almost presents it as like authoritarianism versus disobedience. It's kind of that the same dichotomy I think King is getting at in The Stand. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, it does. Yeah, and I I just thought that was interesting, and and you can kind of see that throughout this movie, and 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 kind of I guess just to get down to my my takeaway from rewatching this movie this last time, this this most recent time is that, you know, and I've always felt that stories are very important stories. I think humanity, civilization is based on stories, right? Like the world around us is built on the human capacity for communication, which is something that sets us apart from other animals, right? Is our ability to communicate and our ability for such complex language, right? And and language that not only affects the present, but language that can comprehend the past or at least like suggest toward a past and also like contemplate and predict a future, right? Like that's no other animal really does that. Like humans are pretty unique as for like, and language is the one thing stories are the thing that kind of sets us apart from every other animal, in my opinion, is the capacity for story. And I think, you know, one of, 
one of the things I think Del Toro is doing in this movie is, you know, fascism is, is the need to control the narrative and to control, like, this is the story. This is the truth. Like, and you see it at the dinner with Carmen, the, 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 the captain's wife, she tries to tell a story about how they met and fell in love or whatever. And he shuts her down. Like nobody's interested in that version of the story. And then even at the end, he's like, he wants to control the narrative. And he's like, tell my son that I died, you know, the way that my father died and smashed his wash, his watch on a rock. And this is the way that he died. Very heroic, very, um, you know, dignified or whatever. He's like, tell my son. And Mercedes is like, nope. And shoots him right in the fucking face and, and deprives him of his ability to control the narrative, which, which but I think. also thi- shows how out of touch re- from reality he was, if, you know, he, his last act of heroism was shooting an innocent child. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it's, yeah, exactly. And it's this like tendency of, of like fascist authoritarian, authoritarianism type thinking to want to control the narrative, control the stories. And I think this, like the movie is arguing against that so much so that Del Toro refuses to pin down one version of the story, right? Cause it's like, is this a, a rational story based in reality where this little girl is just fantasizing, right? Is Pan's Labyrinth and all the, like the toad and the pale man, are these just her coping me- mechanisms and her trying to cope with this, this terrible reality she has to face? Or is it real? And is she really Princess Moana? Is all of that shit real? And I think Del Toro's refusal to pin it down to a single narrative. And actually, I'm, that YouTube creator I mentioned earlier, Nerd Writer Run, Nerd Writer One, he said it be- better than I ever could. So I'm just gonna read what he wrote. But he said the name of the game in this movie is multiplicity, undermining a single authoritarian master narrative by setting up a network of intertexts that make meaning a matter of choice, right? So I, I think even by what he's doing in this movie, Del Toro is renouncing any kind of authoritarianism, like any authoritarian, this is what the story is, this is what it means. And he's leaving it up to you to decide, is this real, is this fantasy, is it some hybrid of the two? Like, it's totally your choice. It is totally up to you. And, you know, it's it's the movie's not gonna tell you which way it goes, you know? Yeah, I, I, I'm one of the few people who don't mind films with, like, ambiguous endings. Yeah. And, and I know a lot of people, when, like what, what you were saying, if they get to that point and they aren't told exactly what it's supposed to be, get really frustrated. <laughs> like, yeah. the conversation I've had with people about 12 Monkeys or anything like that, where the, the ending is open, and they're just like, no, I, I need to be told exactly right. how it ends. And, yeah. And keep, <laughs> like, I feel like... I'm not trying to insult anybody, but I feel like it kind of shows a lack of imagination. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. fucking love. Why that won't they monkey. tell me what's in Marcellus Wallace's briefcase? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Fucking. Hey, there was a scene. Can I this scene uh, that I really liked? It's, it's it's morbid, but my brain did something funny to me. This semantics. I thought it was funny. I, I cracked myself up. But, like, do you ever, like, watch a movie and then, like, your brain fills in the story? Like, you, you complete the story before it even happens. Yeah. And it was, I think the character's name is Frenchie. Frenchie, yeah, the guy, the guy who got his leg, leg amputated, yeah. Yeah. So, like, he's, 
and there's something really nice about that scene, and that is like the doctor's telling him like, okay, like you're gonna lose your leg, like it's gotten infected, and Frenchie's very, very uh, understanding, and he's very kind, and it's just very. There's also like a solemnness to it because you know he's just he's gonna lose his fucking leg. <laughs> yeah, he takes and one doc- opportunity to take a last look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. The doctor, the doctor puts the blade to his leg, and there's this really nice, respectful thing that happens. Frenchie's like, "Uno momento, uno momento," and then my brain did that thing where it like, I, it like it completed the dialogue, and I wanted him to be like, "Uno momento, goodbye leg." Yeah. <laughs> like I just wanted to say goodbye right. leg, and then <laughs> yeah, no, I'm and and to to that to that point, like I'm very. I don't know, gracious, I guess, when it comes to movies. Like, if there's something that doesn't quite make sense, especially if it's a good movie, if I if I love everything else about the movie, I'll, I'll find a way to justify, like, okay, maybe, it, could this be a slight pop, plot hole? I'll find a way to, usually I can be like, okay, well, maybe this happened off screen uh, that kind of explains this thing. Like, I'd, I'd rather be forgiving to a good movie than... You know, yeah. just shit like shit on something that's otherwise a masterpiece based on like one or two little pedantic fucking things, you know? Yeah, yeah. What's your example? <laughs> I don't have one uh, uh, at the oh, moment. Oh, The Dark Knight has a good one. The Dark Knight? Yeah, where um, uh, Joker's um, invaded um, Bruce Wayne's um, penthouse suite when they're having a party and he ends up taking, um, oh, I can't think of her name, um, hostage and holding her out the window and Batman comes and. He throws her out the window and he jumps out and saves her, but it never shows what the Joker did to the people in the party. Right. He did anything at all. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, did the jo- did the Joker just leave or, or what? Yeah. Yeah, did he massacre everybody? Or... Yeah. That's a great yeah. example. Yeah. And, and like shit like that, I'm willing to forgive. Like, who cares? Like, yeah, he turned around and yeah. like, he was like, okay, I threw this chick out the window. Now we're leaving the party. Who cares? What's well, it matter? A, you know? Speaks to how well um, Heath Ledger embodied the Joker because of, um, I yeah. never noticed that until I'd watched the movie probably seven or eight times because I was so enthralled with his performance. Yeah. 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 You think he turned around and just did magic to all those people? <laughs> yeah, Pro- he did balloon animals. <laughs> probably. Dude, I love <laughs> just I love the scene, like one of my favorite lines of dialogue in any movie ever is in the dark night where he goes to that meeting of all the, like the criminal, like mob head, bo- like mob bosses or whatever. And he's like telling them, I'll help you. Let me know when you're willing to pay me to help you. And one of the guys gamble gets upset and he's like, we should kill this fucking clown. And he like, he pulled, he opens his jacket and he's like, got a bomb strapped to him. Right. But so anyway, one of the best lines ever is when they're like, you think you can come in here and, and steal money from us and just get away with it. And the Joker's like, Mm, yeah (laughs) i I fucking love that he's like yeah i'm gonna get away with it what are you gonna do i fucking love that line (laughs) Uh, no i kill the bus driver yeah no i kill the bus driver that that, like that string of events in the beginning yeah it was great (laughs) yeah and i'm not a lot my my wife only tolerates like very small amounts of the Joker voice, like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'll start, I'll start doing the Joker. And she's like, nope, nope. That's a good impersonation. That's, I, I do a pretty good Joker. I can do a pretty good Joker, but she, she, she does not fuck with the Joker. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, w- one thing, and I don't really have anything to say about this. I almost wanted to ask this as a question, but 
the the captain vidal the the villain in this movie seems to have a death wish and i almost i, I almost wonder if that's not a, a larger commentary on his type of character and fascists and authoritarians and that type of person but i mean you can see like he talks about that dying in battle is pr- like when they're shooting after the rebels in the woods he's running ahead of everybody um uh, there, yeah. there's the scene where he's shaving and he looks at himself in the mirror and slits his own throat and it's and it's almost like i feel like it's saying something about that type of person that kind of authoritarian fascist person who who's so who can be so cruel to other people that they that type of person inherently has some kind of death wish and and i don't know maybe that their lack of interest in life extends to themselves as well and that you know either they'd be better off dead or they'd be happier dead or yeah i i, I don't know i'm just kind of well, he, has, talk, he has think, so much control over his own life like everything is so routine yeah mercedes is 15 minutes late you know you know in, the, in her carriage ride to actually go live there like he can't wait for her to get better because he wants her to like chain him to that bed and dominate him like you know like, this is, like that's like that's the type of personality that like has that weird kink at the end you know right <laughs> but i think he was kind of spiraling out of control like into insanity from like the beginning to the end he just gets more, more and more yeah. um psychotic and he gets more and more tightly wound, and the more tightly wound he gets, yeah, the more destructive he is and self-destructive. Yeah. Well, it's weird, because, like, he has a compound, and the compound is only manned by, like, a very small group of people. I, I would imagine, like, the idea of, like, being overrun and the, and the anxiety of that would be all around you all the time, like... Yeah. Because surely they have guns, but, like, there's there are these, like, resistance fighters who pretty much outnumber them. And yeah. they get the terrain. <coughs> oh, you know what? what? Was that? Brent... Oh, they know the terrain as well. They're not yeah. the invaders. They're the defenders, yeah. Yeah. Hey. You Actually, you know what it reminds me of, Brent, which I didn't realize until just now, until you were describing it. But okay. uh, remember in 28 Days Later, where Christopher Eccleston is like the military leader of that like small compound, like... It's what, like 10 people standing, yeah. like trying to maintain some kind of order against hordes of zombies that are outside of their walls. Yes. Like, I, I, I feel like it's kind of like that. Like he's, he's like trying yeah. to maintain order in this small compound of like this small world that's been created for him to thrive in. But really like the forces of reality and the forces of, of of yeah just truth and justice and people will inevitably like overrun him and smash him to the ground like that that yeah. cannot stand for any substantial length of time you know oh yeah, yeah. absolutely I mean, yeah and then i thought about like when they go chase mercedes into the woods and the resistance fighters like take out like six or seven of his guys on horses i was thinking like man like they've that was like a third of their like fucking battalion or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> He's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially at the end when, yeah, they're like, they're like, yeah, we saw these rebels in the woods. There's like 50 or more of them. And he's like, how many men do we have left? And I, I forget what it is exactly, but it's like, oh, we've got like tw- 20 dudes. <laughs> You're like, oh, they're fucked. <laughs> like they're totally fucked, you know? 
Yeah, it was like you were saying earlier, too. Um, he wants to control the narrative, and um, the more they encroach, the less control he has over the narrative. And So, yeah, it's probably spinning him out of control as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucked up when he kills the doctor, and then, like, immediately his wife gets, like, super ill. Yeah. And he's like, well, go get me, like, this, the... The, the soldier doctor or whatever right which and then she just she dies immediately in childbirth like as soon as oh, he kills yeah. that doctor but but i think that's an important you know i think i touched on this before but but disobedience is a virtue i think is a strong theme of this movie and the doctor you know the doctor even says it like maybe you can you can act unquestioningly uh just just like doing what authority tells you to but i'm not i'm not built that way i can't do that and Again and again throughout this movie, Ophelia, our uh, protagonist, right? She disobeys her mother. She disobeys the captain. She disobeys the fawn. Like, she disobeys every yep. single person in this movie. And it's it's shown as virtuous, right? That that's a, That is a uh, an aspirational virtue of her character that she won't just unquestioningly go along. And even at the end, like, the fawn... Uh, repeats the words said by captain Vidal where he's like, okay, if, if, if you're going to come back and whatever, like work for me, you're going to have to do what I ask without question. And then she brings her baby brother into the middle of the labyrinth. And he's like, yeah, I just want to like, I just want to visit. I just want your little brother. I just got to spill a little bit, bit of innocent blood. And she's like, what? Absolutely fucking not. Like, you know, like, uh, so should she have done it though or, or no wait more importantly was the fawn being truthful like he was just like let's say she gave him the baby mm. would he have just like pricked its little finger and dropped the book or would he have taken that giant fucking knife and just like I, I i think probably the latter because i think within the context of the fantastical side of the story yeah. that that was a test for her to see if she was truly like Princess Moana material or if she yeah. would just uh, unflinchingly like bow down to the, the demands of authority. And she. So are you saying that, that the, the test itself to pass it, she needed to use her own blood? Yes. Yeah. The, the test was that she would not hand the fawn her brother. Yeah. Yeah. But so a couple other things. Uh, one thing that kind of confused me is when, when the rebels. Uh, attacked the base and they broke into the storeroom like they bombed everything there were explosions going off and then one of the things that tipped captain vidal to mercedes was that they had used the, the key to open the lock and he was like i have the only copy of this key right and i'm sitting there i'm thinking like they fucking they blew up everything else in the compound why did they use a key on that lock why didn't they just fucking stick uh, put a stick of grenade and stick a dynamite in there and fucking blow Smash the lock open. The yeah. Vidal wouldn't have found out if they hadn't done it that way. Exactly. Right. Like yeah. A plot device. Yeah. 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 Again, yeah. Convenient plot device. But again, like thinking of it realistically, like why, why, <laughs> like why use the key on that lock? Yeah. Oh yeah. I had a question about the vial of antibiotics. Yeah. How did that work exactly? Um, because I think I feel like I've seen things like that in the past, where it was like a vial of something that seemed as though it was like blown glass to seal the tip. Uh huh. Like, how did it work? Like, how would you get the medicine out of that vial? You break the tip off. Does it just like where, yeah, where it like, becomes concave? 
Yeah, there's a weak spot where yeah, where you just snap it. Nice. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's super interest- interesting cuz yeah, that's <laughs> that's a that's yeah, a, the, a I'm not trying to sound like like I know everything, but I think those are called ampules. Okay. Will you say that word one more time? Ampules? Ampules. That's cool. I remember when I was little and I went to the state uh, not, um, a city fair and those thi- like stink bombs came in that exact shape. Buy them at this fair that I was at. <laughs> nice. and throw it and smash and smell. Shit. Well, let's. I'm kind of looking through my notes here. Uh, I, I want to make sure we're we're respectful of JT's time. I know you got to work in the morning. Yeah. One thing I thought was interesting, which I didn't know, this Carmen uh, Ophelia's mom, played by uh, Ariadna Gill, apparently she's been married to Vigo Mortensen for years. Oh wow! Whoa. So, I had no idea. What's she, the age difference? Uh, I think they're about He's the same. Younger dude, right? I think they're about the same age. Maybe she's a little younger. Oh. But uh, but yeah, she's she's Aragorn's wife. I had no idea. Nice. So they, they both yeah. were in excellent fantasy films. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So let's see. We talked about that. We talked about the Pale Man. I I really think I, I was there. Anything else about this movie? I mean, I I I could keep talking about this movie scene by scene <laughs> for forever. But uh, was there anything else you guys wanted to to talk about in particular before we head jump into head cannons here? Uh, like I said, I haven't seen it in a long time, so I. I'd, like I said, I just remember mainly the fantasy sequences being just uh, like beautiful to watch, and yeah. the camera work and everything. But the technical, like the technical skill involved, was amazing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So gorgeous. And I watched a little bit of behind the scenes of like how they did, you know, how they did uh, Doug Jones doing the fawn, and uh, how he had like how he had his legs. He was essentially like standing on the feet of the fawn with like green green pants and they had to like cgi those out and it's pretty interesting how they did all the cgi but it it looks great even now what are we fucking almost 20 years like 15 years later it still looks great this fucking movie yeah i think it's gonna be one of the ones that um holds up over time yeah i mean it obviously is but i think like similar to lord of the rings we could probably watch that 20 years from now and still be like that looks great yeah yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. And I like awesome. that both of them use a lot of practical effects as well. And I think I that's like... the key. Yeah, a lot of practical effects wherever you can. And because this, I mean, this movie has some great CGI, but but it really is only like wherever practical effects are going to fall short, you know. So yeah, like I'm pretty sure the. Um... The Thin Man, he was all practical effects or very, very little CGI enhancement. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Maybe, maybe just the legs. I think there was some... Ju- but again, I think it's just CGI, like, removal. I think they just, like, removed some mm-hmm. things. It wasn't... It's not a lot of, like, CGI uh, creation, you know. Next week, we're covering 1974's The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, which is a kung fu monster flick... And I'm pretty sure the last Hammer Dracula movie they did as well. Definitely worth a watch, so check that out. And as always, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook at Danger Explosion Presents Headcanon, on Instagram at Pod, on Twitter at HorrorMoviePod, and as always, you can follow the subreddit r slash HorrorMoviePod. Well, let's uh, Brent or JT. Do you, do you guys have a head cannon you wanna you wanna dive into, or or you want me to go first? Doesn't matter to me. Um, 
I'll let you go first. <laughs> okay, I can go. I'll go. All right, so the fawn, after getting Ophelia, you know, helping Ophelia with her quests and bringing her back home, reuniting her with her family in the, in the fantasy realm as, as Princess Moana, his role is fulfilled, right? He, 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 he's done. So this is 1944. This takes place. So I feel like he, he goes and he takes some acting classes. Maybe he becomes part of a, a, a well-known acting family in Hollywood. That's, that's what his passion has always been is to be a, an actor. And so he finally starts, he, he joins Hollywood, becomes an actor, really starts getting noticed in the 60s and 70s as uh, an actor by the name of Peter Fonda. And so... <laughs> the... <laughs> I'm laughing at that too much. That's hilarious. <laughs> So Peter Fonda, who was convenient, conveniently born in 1940, if you believe him, uh, I think is actually a fawn from the underworld who uh, became the child of, of Harry Fonda, Henry Fonda, whatever, and uh, and became famous <laughs> actor known as Peter Fonda. It's so. <laughs> so stupid. It's great. I like it. I do. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So that's that's my head tail. Tail. <laughs> Oh, JT, do you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess I'm imagining a deleted scene. Nice. So at the um, end of the film, as they're fading away, of like the beautiful scene of Moana being united with her um, father and mother, her, her true father and mother. Um, the uh, thin man's head pops up. And he says in the voice of Porky Pig, that's all, folks. And then the Warner Brother logo appears in the background and fades out. <laughs> yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I dig it. <laughs> that's great. His voice would be really weird. <laughs> all right. Brent, what's your head canon? I reimagined the title of the movie to be Pam, Pam's Labyrinth. So... <laughs> The whole maze at the end has been sprayed with cooking oil. <laughs> Fawn's Phillips, they slip on the ground in a Scooby-Doo-like fashion, just like running in place. And he falls. He falls onto one of the last living like fairies mm -hmm. who smushes. He smushes the fairy and it squirts into and it arcs. The squirt arcs over the side of the, of the, of the well and lands into the water. <laughs> And then, create, and then, like, and then that fairy becomes like the guardian of like a fairy kingdom. <laughs> Very nice. I love it. Yeah, Pam's labyrinth. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, JT, is there anything you want to plug or point people toward while you have the ears of twelve to twenty people? Whoa! That's, yeah. Um, yeah, everything, everywhere, all at once is amazing. Yeah, I fucking, yeah. I love that movie so much. I fucking love that movie. Yeah, yeah. And read Naked Lunch to your children at night. <laughs> yeah, read Naked Lunch that, to your buddy. children. You would and, recommend that. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I think you would um, have some disturbed, traumatized kids. <laughs> well, and JT, I'm going to see if I can't find that uh, movie through my library and recommend that Brent do the same. 
I would love to do naked lunch with you maybe later in the year at some point. If we could, if we could figure out how to do that, I would love to cover that movie. So let's kind of keep it on our radar to see like if it will come up and pop up in a streaming fashion or whatever. Yeah. Because like Amazon says something weird, like it's not available in your area at this time. Yeah. So yeah. maybe it's like, it's in Europe now and maybe it'll like, it's like a <laughs> traveling thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like that's yeah it's got to make its if way. If you guys find it, let me know. Um, yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I love the movie. It's not for everyone, but I, I just enjoy the, like the, bizarreness and the creativity of it all oh yeah i i would love to cover that movie so <laughs> oh and it, for a listener for a listener if you know how to watch this movie let us, let know. us know yeah send us a link <laughs> yeah so awesome all right well jt thank you again uh, it's been a pleasure uh thank you for coming on thank you for covering this movie with us and uh, this has been head cannon <laughs> <laughs>